<clears throat> Pardon me. Now, I recently uh, received a letter from Val of Engadine. I think Val has written a couple of times, but uh, Val describes herself as an enthusiastic history amateur. Uh, she uh, put us on to the subject of the Plantagenists. Uh, she wants to know a little more about them, as we all do. And uh, when it was uh, realised that we were going to speak about the Plantagenists today, we were fielding calls all morning by Plantagenet enthusiasts, of which there are many. Uh, now, the Plantagenets, of course, were the ruling kings, as I mentioned, in the 12th to the 5th centuries in Great Britain. Val described them as a magnificent, flawed bunch and posed some pertinent questions that we may well pursue this afternoon. Plantagenet expert is Carol Cusack from Sydney University, who is in the studio with us this afternoon. Carol, how are you? Very well, John. Very pleased to be here. Good. Carol, have you always been a Plantagenet buff? No, though I've always been a medieval buff. I discovered the Middle Ages when I was about three yes. through um, being taken to see St. Mary's Cathedral in the city by my mother yes. and uh, being fascinated by the style of architecture, the ambience, and soon discovered historical children's novels, went on from there, studied at university. Is that right? So medieval, this pursuit of the medieval has been with you since the age of three? Yes, yes. And the enthusiasm has never waned? Never, not once. So what's the fascination? I mean, it was a, it was a reasonably uh, sort of ordinary period of time, wasn't it? No, it wasn't a reasonably ordinary period of time. It's interesting, I think, that um, my fascination doesn't extend to wanting to be a medieval person. Uh, oh. For a woman, it was a pretty horrible time to exist. In fact, for most people, it was a pretty horrible time to exist. Mm. Uh, life, to quote Hobbes, was poor, nasty, brutish and short. Mm. Um, but... There's a great deal of colour and interest, and it's also somewhat neglected, I think, historically. So when people are at school, they're encouraged to study modern history, mm -hmm. ancient history. Medieval history is the boring bit that's got stuck in the middle, yes. or the bit that's ignored or neglected. Because it seemingly is dull. No. You know, apart from the moat. What have we got from the medieval period? <laughs> Hanging, drawing, quartering, the Black Death, witch hunts, heresy hunting, um, magnificent crusading exploration. Yes. Cathedral building. Yes. Journeys in madness, Cal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is reasonably attractive to you. Indeed. So who were the Plantagenists? What, what does it mean? Does it refer to the flower, the emblem? Yes, it refers to an emblem, the Plantagenista, the sprig of broom, which was actually the emblem of Geoffrey, the Count of Anjou, who is effectively the father of the first Plantagenet King of England. Uh, Geoffrey was the second husband of Matilda, who is known as the Empress. Any one of your uh, mm. listeners who read... Ellis Peters' Brother Cadfell novels will be well acquainted oh. with the, the figure of the Empress Matilda, sometimes called Maud. Um, she, by rights, should have inherited the crown of England. Was she, was she, strictly speaking, was she Anglo-Saxon? Anglo She's she Anglo-Norman. Ah. Um, and she was the daughter of Henry I, uh, and therefore the granddaughter of William the Conqueror. Right. Uh, Henry died, he had no male heir, mm. and he left his crown to his daughter, but the great lords of England were not willing to take a woman as a ruler, not, mm. not unusual, yeah. um, and she was forced to fight for her crown, which she in fact never gained. Right. And, Did uh, she have much support? Yes, considerable support. Yeah. Um, her bastard half-brother, Robert, Earl of Gloucester, uh, led her forces in England. Her 
husband, Geoffrey, who was none too fond of her, nonetheless supported her and gave her help. And there were many people in England and in France, because at this point England and France are very close, yeah. dynastically and politically, um, who supported her right, right. as well. And uh, the person, the British magnates eventually chose to be their king was Stephen of Blois, who was her cousin, also a grandson of, uh, of, Henry, William, the of William the Conqueror, right. but by, again, by the female line from William's daughter Adela, so in fact his claim wasn't very good. And I'm afraid that uh, Stephen and Matilda put on a pretty bad show and civil war raged for 12 years, actually yeah. more than 12 years. Um, so was he acknowledged as King Stephen? Yes, he was crowned, acknowledged king quite an able king in many ways yes yes um, so you had king stephen and queen maud well she was trying to known occupy. as the empress ah the empress they never they never bestowed queen upon her she never was even crowned. though henry had done so no he she gave her the crown yes he gave her the crown he bequeathed it yes. but in those but days there was no ceremony she didn't actually no. put it on her head and someone no no in those days being bequeathed the crown didn't mean a lot you had to actually have the support of the magnates um the barons or earls, whichever term you wish to use for them, the powerful men of the kingdom. Mm. She lacked that. Mm. They gave it to Stephen. And she lacked that simply because she was a woman? Yes. So did she have to disappear over the channel? And yes, yes, she lived in France for a long time, rallied In support. exile? Yes, yes. Her husband's uh, court, as I said, was in Anjou. He was Count of Anjou. Yeah. And uh, she had a home there. Um, Yes, yes. And, and how did she get on with the f French nobility? Were they quite happy to have her there? Oh, yes. You see, France was actually not a country as it is nowadays in the Middle Ages. Oh. France was a very small kingdom centred on the Ile-de-France region around Paris and all of the other parts, the provinces, Angoulême, oh. Anjou, Brittany, Maine, Normandy, Provence, were actually duchies or princedoms belonging to individual mm. uh, rulers and so of course Matilda's husband Geoffrey of Anjou was one of these magnates of France mm. and so you know she had a perfectly warm welcome there okay so so Stephen was crowned moored you know, over the uh, over the uh, channel unhappy but what were the consequences the consequences were that when Stephen's eldest son Eustace died in uh, 1153 mm. um, a peace was negotiated whereby he was encouraged to adopt uh, his cousin's son, who is, who is to become Henry II of England. Mm. Um, Henry was already a very impressive young man, and he'd just capped it all off by marrying Eleanor of Aquitaine, the divorced wife of the King of France, mm. a famous beauty, 12 years older than he was, but she held vast lands and a great deal of power, very good alliance. And, um, was the marriage um, for reasons of alliance? Was it a, was it a political marriage? Indeed. When Eleanor's um, annulment came through from the Vatican, she sent word mm. to Henry, whom she'd met only once and who was only 18 to her 30, mm. offering herself and all her lands at his disposal. Why did she do that? Because as a woman alone, owning vast lands, which her former husband, Louis VII, had yeah. generously given back to her when the marriage was annulled. She was uh, in peril of what was known as marriage by rape. And in fact, when she left Paris, her former husband's home, to go home to Poitiers, her capital in Aquitaine, she was waylaid by two men, one of whom was only 15 years old, who were attempting to carry her off, ravish her, and then bundle her to the nearest church, whereby they'd say to a priest, I've just uh, ravished this woman, so I have to marry her. 
And she and would have no choice in the matter? No. Would the priest have to say, ah, oh, well... Right, oh, yes, you've you dishonoured the lady. You can, you can marry her and you can have all her lands as well. Is that right? Yes. Tremendous period for women. Frightful! <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. So was it difficult to organise an annulment? Um, no, in just... fact, it was incredibly easy. The aristocracy did it all the time. There were all sorts of grounds. Uh, consanguinity, which means you were too closely related within prohibited degrees of kinship to mm. the person you'd married. To which you say, well, why were you married? Why, why didn't you discover oh, this Usually before? they got um, uh, permission to marry in the first place, then decided they were sick of each other well, sometime later. They get a papal dispensation yes. so that uh, you, know, you could marry your first cousin. Or... And, and then say, oh, look, it's, look, it's, it's, it's not working out. <laughs> and so you get it annulled. Yes. Did you have to... Did it cost a little bit of money? Oh, I think quite a bit. I think quite a bit, and it took skilled diplomacy to deal with the papal agents. But um, Eleanor and Louis, of course, divorced, uh, annulled their yeah. marriage, essentially because they'd been married 14 years and she'd not provided a male heir. Mm. Uh, we think this is probably Louis's fault, since she, when she married Henry II of England, she had eight children to him, five of whom were sons. So. Um, yes. I don't think there was any incapacity on her part. No, no, you'd have to cite Louis as the... Mm, she used to say she'd married a monk, not a man, and that he was more on his knees at his prayers than in her bed. Is that right? Mm. Well, interesting grounds for annulment for the church. Mm. He prayed too much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> OK, now, we come then to the, the children of Eleanor and mm. Henry. Vastly interesting bunch. What were they like? Are they the loony ones? Henry the Young King, who died actually before he became king. Mm. Of course, the extraordinarily lauded and much-discussed Richard the Lionheart, whom mm. I'm not so keen on, I must confess. What is that against Richard? Um, he was tremendous, wasn't he? He was a very... He was a crusader. ...mercurial, brilliant, exciting character. Mm. But I think if we're going to refer to Val's comments about a flawed bunch, he's one of the most flawed of all. Uh, and in the ten years he ruled England, of course, he was barely on English soil for six months. He never learned English, despised the language, could only speak French. Mm. Um, spent, used England as a bank to finance Middle Eastern jaunting, essentially. Yeah, but it was crusade. Was it was in the cause of Christianity, wasn't Oh, it? yes, name of God. Of course, a lot of fun... More fun than hanging around drafty castles in England. You think that's why he did it? Well, I think he was a man well, who enjoyed adventure and enjoyed male life. Of course, we all know that there are many, many allegations he was homosexual. Uh, in fact, they're not allegations, they're facts. He's one of the few people we know definitely was because on three occasions, chroniclers recorded that he did public penance for sodomy uh, with his lover, Philip of France, who was a fellow crusader. Public um, penance? What he had to do? Yes, this? yes, in sackcloth in the, in the streets. Uh, the church could enforce these, these kinds of the penalties. Know? I they... think that they caught the message. It, it wasn't too difficult. Um, and of course... What his... do you mean it wasn't too difficult? <laughs> well, a, under a bush somewhere. Oh, there's Richard, Richard again. Richard was a king. Come on out here. Richard was a king. And despite the fact that he had two fiancées for a very, very, very long time, mm. he, um, in, in sequence, I, I must say... What, the fiancées were sort of... He avoided beards, marrying... No, he avoided marrying the first, Alice of France, just oh. refused to. Alleged, actually, she'd had an affair with his father, but there was no proof. There mm. is no proof. It's much material for popular novels, but... Mm -hmm. uh, the second, Berengaria of Navarre, he finally did marry, mm. but um, he... Didn't work out. No, no, and wasn't really interested in her, I'm afraid. But he'd rather be out. With the boys, fighting, gambling, drinking, 
troubadouring. Yeah. And a bit of sodomy in sackcloth. <laughs> Every now and then. Well, how come Richard was, uh, was elevated? Uh, well, myth mythologised. Okay, this is an easy one to answer, actually. Um, we think, because nowadays we have radio and television and newspapers, that everyone knows about the people who are in charge of the country and scandals make it into public mm -hmm. uh, knowledge. In the medieval world, news was scarce and, and hard to come by and images were easily created and Richard was a figure of romance for the English people because he was an absentee king. It's always very easy to be popular when you're not there, yeah. particularly when you're um, doing you know, God's work yeah, against the, the infidel yeah. in, in the Holy Land mm. and your brother John who's unpopular and who's taxing the English not for his own benefit but so he can fund Richard's excursions becomes the unpopular king, the person who's the oppressor at home, right. the one who's called soft sword because he never goes out to fight, because poor man he had to stay at home and do the administration, mm. never an exciting task. Soft sword? Yeah, and Lackland, John was very, very, very much abused in his subriquet. Is that right? Yes. So in court, would they snigger when he went past? And oh, I mean, was it open? The interesting thing sniggery? is, John's a very nice character, mm. and you know, return, really? returning again to Val's characterizations of the Plantagenets. Mm. Some of the most vilified are amongst the pleasantest people in their personal life. Um, people didn't like John much and he did abuse and insult a lot of people. You know the story about him pulling the beards of the Irish nobles when he was sent over to administer Ireland. Didn't like them, you know, and yanked their beards, caused them great offence. But he was a fun-loving man, a man of... A um, well, practical joker. Yeah, a practical joker and also a sensual, self-indulgent, lazy sort of man. He liked food and wine and pretty girls and and fun, you know, and... He, sack, a lot of sack. And, you know, all that and, sort of stuff. And, and actually... Peeled grapes. And he was... Beard pulling. <laughs> even when he divorced his first wife, poor old Hadweezer of Gloucester, because mm. he got sick of her and really she wasn't a suitable wife for someone who was going to be a king. She was a, a wealthy mm. noble's daughter, but, you know, a bit rural, a bit regional. He could marry someone from the continent. Um, she just... She wasn't too angry with him, and he continued to send her presents until she died. You know, even oh. after they were divorced, they were on Amy. So he's a reasonable sort of bloke. He was a nice chap. And his oh. second wife, Isabella of Angoulême, yeah. uh, loved him very much. Well, why didn't the stories of, of Richard wearing the sackcloth around town spread? Well, because there were better stories to spread. I mean, when Richard was captured on his way back from England... Uh, from to England, sorry, yeah. from from the Crusades, yeah. uh, captured by Leopold of Austria and kept prisoner in the castle for over a year. The great story of Blondel, his troubadour, who found him by singing under the windows and in the dining rooms of castles all over the um, the continent. Mm. You know, that's a great story. And also, you've got to remember that this minstrelsy and troubadouring is one of the ways in which people get news. And if somebody makes a great song up about your valour. Mm. at the siege of Acre, or you're being released from the castle in Bavaria, mm. you know, romantically, etc., etc. These are the things that people catch on oh. to, the stuff of legend. So there was no, hey, nonny, nonny, Richard in the sackcloth? No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> okay, so there was Richard. Who, who, were the, uh, who was next? Okay, after John... Yeah, uh, John. evil John, who's oh, now good John. Nice yeah, old top John. John. No, Fun-loving, no, beard-pulling, no, sack-drinking. No. John, who's a bit of a bastard, but a guy you wouldn't mind having a drink with. Ah, right. That kind of fellow. Right, yeah. Um, his son is... 
Henry III. I don't know whether we should go through all of them because no, there are no, actually no. stacks of them. So we might skip that and talk about some of the more interesting ones. Yeah. I think uh, Val mm. goes on to mention some further. Yes, she does. She uh, is it true? She says that uh, Edward III was the first British monarch to have the actual time of his birth noted. And if true, why aren't children being taught this in schools? Is this true? It is true. In fact, he was born at 20 minutes to 6am on Monday the 13th November 1312. And that is the first recording of... Of an exact, precise, absolute birth date, yes. And it's actually quite an interesting... So science was coming to... Oh, I don't know well. about that. I think it probably was Edward III's mother in fact, who's responsible. Um, Edward is one of the three Edwards. This mm. book I have here, actually, yeah. is called The Three Edwards. Mm. Um, very interesting period in Plantagenet monarchy. Edward I was stunning, brilliant, long-lived um, warrior, able administrator, one of the greats. One, you know, when we think about English kings, only Alfred the Great, who's Anglo-Saxon, ever was given that appellation. And often when people think about possible English kings to give the appellation right. the Great to, Edward I is a, is a possibility. Right. Uh, long, happy marriage, uh, great life, you know, the whole lot. Edward II, his son, right. very sad case. And this is where we get to the question of the popular Plantagenets in most people's imagination and the ones, for example, that I like. My favourite Plantagenets are two complete black sheep. Mm. Um, Richard II, Richard of Bordeaux, is certainly my favourite, and probably Edward II follows. But we'll look at the reasons why Edward II isn't a popular Plantagenet. Mm. We know quite a lot about Edward, actually. Um, Christopher Marlowe wrote a play about him, which has just been made into a film, well, about two years ago, by Derek Jarman, the now-dead English mm. filmmaker. Uh, fabulous film, incidentally, really worth seeing. Um, Edward II grew up in the household of a king, incredibly capable, brilliant, martial, military, and he wasn't interested, as far as we're concerned, at all in any of those things. He didn't want to be a king, mm. he wasn't interested in government, he wasn't even interested in knightly pleasures like, say, King John was. He liked digging and rowing and fishing. He was a very ordinary kind of man. He's a sort of Prince Charles type. A little he? bit, yes. Mm. Um, but there was a, a complication there. He is another one of our almost definitely homosexual Plantagenet kings. And in his case, he was very, very unsubtle about his relationship with the man who was his, his favourite, Piers Gaveston, who was a Gascon lord, not very highly born, mm. um, very, very despising of England and the English ways, very provoking to the magnets, to the great lords oh, who oh. are... And uh, Edward I, Edward II's dad, had actually suspected this vicious influence and had, had Gaveston exiled from court. But of course, when Edward II became king, he recalled his favourite and he cool. spent all his time with him. Yeah. And they had a lot of fun. And I think there is no doubt they loved each other greatly. Right. But to the recording of the birth, time and date of Edward III, um, Edward II, gay or not, was married. He was married to a woman called Isabella, who was known as the She-Wolf of France. Whether she deserved the title, I'm not sure. She had a pretty horrible life, actually. Um, he declared shortly after he'd married her that he preferred the couch of Piers Gaveston to the couch of his wife. He treated her very badly, in general, mm. and I would say that the recording of her son's birth date 
and time doesn't have anything much to do necessarily with the advances of science or the exactnesses of history. It probably is the lady herself giving birth alone without her husband, knowing that she's not particularly beloved, that it's... He was out on the other couch. Well, no, in fact, Gaveston had been murdered a couple of months oh. before by the magnets who couldn't stand him any longer. <laughs> but it, it, that definitely didn't uh, bring the king and queen any closer. So I no. suspect that, that's the that the recording of that birth time oh. and date is Queen Isabella consoling herself a little. Carol, could we talk again sometime? I'd love to. That's great, because, the, the, I mean, we've only really scratched the surface of uh, Val's uh, missive, and there's so much more to talk about. Yes. Of the Plantagenets. Fantastic. Carol Cusack joining us this afternoon. Lecturer at Sydney University in matter, matters uh, medieval. And we will certainly return to the Plantagenet story in the not-too-distant future. Virginia Smallwood, the news.